0: Welcome to the programme. This is Squawk Box. The headlines this hour. The Dow suffers another near thousand point drop as coronavirus fears take hold again after a week of big swings, while Asian equities move deeper into the red. The yield on the U.S. 10 year falls to another record low, nearing 0.8 percent. Bond King Jeffrey Gundlach tells CNBC the virus outbreak has put a fork in the economy and could tip the U.S. into recession.
1: Cutting rates was justified for sure. I, I I mean, I don't like the way sort of in which it was done. It, it feels like, uh, you know, they were between a rock and a hard place. I mean, the Fed, I think when I, when I say panic, the Fed in their most recent press conference took a victory lap.
2: Well, oil prices continuing to slide, that's despite OPEC planning to make the biggest output cut since the 2008 crisis, if Russia gets on board. The Secretary-General Mohamed Bakindo tells CNBC extreme circumstances warrant the move.
3: This is a very challenging period. It's not only for oil, it's commodities, is stocks, is uh, financial markets. Uh, this is an uncharted territory.
2: Uh, Elizabeth Warren, quitting the race for the Democratic nomination after a poor showing on Super Tuesday, Bartley, Massachusetts senator, declines to endorse any of her former rivals
4: at this hour the southwest ceo tells cnbc virus driven fear has a 9 11 feel becoming the latest airline to warn on guidance we find out how precautions and cancellations are impacting the world of sport and we speak to a ceo in milan who explains how he's adjusting the way he does business amid the outbreak
2: I mean, ordinarily these kind of moves on my left here would be mump today, year today, but no, this is every single day this week so far. Goodness knows what today is going to hold. I mean, literally, anyone who tells you I know what the Dow is going to do today is either brilliant or an absolute fool, or, or just going to be trying to pretending they're very, very good at this. Uh, because Monday up 1,300 points, extraordinary move. Tuesday down 786 points little bit of a retracement, little bit compared with the 1300 plus. Then we had this another massive rally on Wednesday and then yesterday. And literally, I go to bed as late as I can. I get up in the morning and the first thing I'm doing at the moment is checking the random number on the Dow. You know, ordinarily, you kind of get a feeling when you go to bed where the Dow is going to finish. This week, it's utterly random as well. I mean, week to date, I will tell you that week to date, the Dow is up 2.8%. Doesn't feel like it, does it? Let's be honest about it. It could have been any number. The S&P is up 2.4%. The Nasdaq is up 2%. What I thought I'd do just before I move on is just give you some of the, the sector moves, um, or where we're at on a couple of the biggest sectors as well. Energy, as I mentioned to you before, is in bear market territory, down 30. now from its 52-week high, which was hit just under a year ago, April last year. In fact, St. George's Day last year, 23rd of April. Uh, Financials in correction, not bear market, down 15.3%. And industrials off 14.5%. So extraordinary moves. I don't even think, and actually, my job's really easy when you get those kind of moves. I don't have to give you a narrative. I can just show you the moves and say, look at that. And very often, I think numbers aren't particularly exciting to look at those are really phenomenal. If you don't find those interesting, you're watching the wrong show. Okay, so here's the session yesterday, 3.6% down. Um, Actually, one thing I will say about it, the market plummeted and then kind of stayed plummeted. So actually it wasn't one of those ones where we were up and down 600 points in session. It kind of fell 600 points and then drifted lower as well. So actually, I don't think it was the most volatile session of the week, even though it was an absolute pummeling for those who thought there was a bit more stability coming in the market. And I'll make no bones about it. 24 hours earlier, I was looking at um, numbers from the likes of uh, Skyworks, I think it was, who was the, the chip supplier to Apple and thinking, well, they're trying at least to give us some clarity. And when people try and give us clarity, maybe that means we can start evaluating stocks and shares on a regular basis. Anyway, 2.8% higher for the week, as I mentioned. Let's have a look at the Treasuries. Again, you know the story. You're a very smart bunch. Look, I don't know what to say really about this yield. Um, 0.82. Wow. 0.82. 30-year, uh, 1.43. Again, speaks volumes as well. Uh, and the US 5-year, five 0.5967 as well. Let's have a look at the banks as well. Um, Look, can I just say this on a personal note? We all wish Jamie Dimon to get well as soon as possible. He had uh, a very important bit of surgery in the last 48 hours. Um, done phenomenally well for JP Morgan as well. He's had his health issues in the past. We all hope that was behind him. But let's just say, good luck, Jamie Dimon. Let's hope you know everything goes well going forward. Uh, Bank of America down 5% as well, uh, 4.8%. So again, one thing I will say about this, is they're all trading in a very, very tight range. What have we got? We've got 4.76 and we've got 6%. So very, very tight range as well. I'm not going to give you the dollar crosses because uh, I'll tell you in my ear, they said it's not interesting enough. So let's have a look at the Asian markets. <laughs> 2.4% lower, the Hang Seng, Nikkei down 2.7%. Oh, pff, I mean, look, Shanghai Composite barely registering a move, down 1% as well. Um, Right, okay, let me just tell you that the National Economic Council Director, Larry Kudlow, will be on CNBC talking about the state of the US economy and, oh yeah, jobs report. Normally, you know know what I'm like, I get well excited about the jobs report, have done for 30 odd years. Whatever, it's backward looking now, isn't it? Anyway, you can catch Mr. Kudlow's uh, interview uh, first on CNBC, 1530 CET, and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. We'll also be on Squawk Box stateside this morning talking about the spread of the coronavirus. You can watch that interview at 1400 CET. In the meantime, companies reporting. I presume every single company were just scouring for the line on coronavirus. Yeah, so
0: Estelol Exotica, um coming out this morning and they've got a line, as you suggest, Steve, here. Um, on coronavirus, due to COVID-19 outbreak, companies' current expectations for revenue growth to be below annual trend in first half of the year, followed by a recovery in the second half of the year. And it's one of those debates we were having around the desk yesterday about how much visibility these companies have and the fact that at this point they're prepared to state that they do see an improvement to the second half. But clearly, like all companies at the moment, they're making the point that they do see a challenge for first-half visibility. In terms of uh, the full-year uh, revenue number they're giving us here, £17.39 billion is what they've delivered for 2019. Uh, the year-ago figure was £16.19 billion. Uh The company um, delivering, uh, it seems to me, in line with expectations around this, the um, challenge, though, obviously, for this eyewear business is what they're saying about the outlook for the first half of the year here. And I'm a little bit surprised, but maybe there is something in the fact that people are not going to get to the stores. Because I was encouraged by Alcon, who I saw obviously a, a week or so ago, that in eyewear and particularly prescription eyewear, you'd think that there would be some resilience and you would go th- you'd look through the cycle ultimately because this, these are not... Um, discretionary items in many senses if you wear lenses you need lenses
4: you're right about footfall though because there are many competitors online to this business and if that's where the business is going to go if people need prescription glasses and that's clearly a negative for Essilor the other big factor of travel people doing less travel then they may not be buying new sunglasses to go on travel Mm -hmm. so they're on space when it comes to protective eyewear at this point with the coronavirus that point I make is um, we're about to do a a read a little bit later on talking about what Sequoia Capital was uh, suggesting to some of its companies if you're looking at investments that's a really good point, anticipating the demand story. It's really hard at this point if your customers have not changed their activities. So in some ways, you need to anticipate what those customers are going to do. And I think at this point, even for a Nestle Luxottia, they're going to have to anticipate down the line what those customers are going to do. And this is where quality management is going to really count in the next couple of months.
0: Yeah, just to round it out on coronavirus, uh, plants in China are currently operating at a slightly reduced capacity, according to the company. Um, At current level of inventory, though, uh, it is sufficient to meet several weeks of demand at the moment.
2: Just one line um i think the market has taken on board that story you mentioned about there is a resilience in their prescription business what have you i mean i was looking at the shares and i was expecting them to be down precipitously from their most recent high and look they're down of course they're down and rightly so it's an italian stock and has exposure to luxury and discretionary spending but the shares at their peak in and i think before we started selling off in europe on the 21st of february we're trading around about 142. they're down to 125. now So 8% year-to-date lower. I think, compared with some of these stocks where we've seen 30%, 40% wiped off in some cases, that's actually a relatively resilient performance. Maybe today will be different. Maybe today we'll just wipe them out.
4: Consumer behavior, you start thinking of how consumers act in situations. So, pent up demand story, that's clearly been a, a case for a number of companies that you've just got delayed purchases. And maybe sunglasses, effectively, you know, a V shaped recovery. People are not buying now, but they do intend to buy sunglasses over the next 12 months. So, they're just going to delay that purchase. So, you might see that spring back. The other one, of course, been smartphones. If people are not buying the smartphone now, they may buy it later on. So, perhaps it's just in that category where it's not a missed purchase, it's a delayed purchase.
0: Uh, France has reported a sudden jump in coronavirus cases with 423, 423 new patients being diagnosed. That's up from only 138 the day before. In Germany, the health minister has declared the outbreak a global pandemic. After the spread of the virus across the country worsened, China's central province of Hubei, meanwhile... With the exception of Wuhan, has reported no new cases of coronavirus over a 24-hour period for the first time since the outbreak. Wuhan, the epicentre of the outbreak, has confirmed 126 new cases. The number of deaths stateside from the virus has risen to 12. U.S. Vice President Mike Pence has warned the country does not have enough testing kits to meet anticipated demand. President Trump sought to calm concerns, though, saying authorities are taking the right measures.
5: One of the things I did is I closed down the borders to China and to other areas that are very badly affected and really having a lot of troubles. I mean, countries and areas of countries that have had a lot of problems. And I closed them down very early, against the advice of almost everybody, and we've been given rave reviews. And that's why we have uh, only, right now, it's a lot of people, but it's still 11 people versus tremendous numbers of thousands of people that have died all over the world. We have 11. Uh, We have 149 cases as of this moment. This morning was 129. And I just see right now it's about 149 cases. There are 100,000 cases all over the world. So we're really given tremendous marks for having made the decision. That was a decision I made to close down the border so that people from China, where we take in thousands and thousands of people a day, they stopped coming in very early.
4: President Trump there. Well, with wild swings on the markets, how are we meant to think about this? The world's biggest investors have weighed in on the virus-related volatility. The chairman of Graycroft, Alan Patrickcroft, who specializes in investing in smaller companies, says the recent market pullback is a blip. Speaking to CNBC, he called on investors to be calm, adding that he has not sold any stock in the past several weeks. Sequoia Capital, though, has taken a gloomier view. The venture capital company, which famously sent out a presentation back in 2008 titled RIP or Rest in Peace Good Times, has released a memo to the CEO of its portfolio companies sounding the alarm bell around the current conditions. The so-called bond king Jeffrey Gundlach says the coronavirus concerns could lead to major job losses and put a, quote, fork in the economy. Speaking to CNBC, he warned that it could also tip the U.S. into recession, pointing to reduced travel and social activity. The famous investor also believes the Federal Reserve panicked in cutting interest rates earlier this week.
1: cutting rates was justified for sure. I, I, I mean, I don't like the way sort of in which it was done. It, it feels like, uh, you know, they were between a rock and a hard place. I mean, the Fed, I think when I I say panic, the Fed in their most recent press conference took a victory lap, talking about how they had finally reached a stable place in policy, and that uh, they could be on hold for the foreseeable future, maybe even the entire world, that we were in a good place, that policy rates were appropriate. And I I don't know, I thought that that was a little bit of hubris at the time, but the uh, data set has certainly changed to the point where, the Fed was between a rock and a hard place. If they don't cut rates, you know it's a real problem. The stock market is tanking, or was tanking last week, and now it's a huge roller coaster ride. And the bond market uh, activity, as I said earlier, with high yield spreads just blowing out while Treasury rates are falling just as fast as high yields are going up. Uh, it's I think it's uh, you can't uh, blame the Fed for cutting the rates 50. They're just probably going to have to do it again because this situation doesn't seem. To be doing anything but continuing and you know you see the press conference with the president and the and the physicians uh, on top of this uh, coronavirus situation and and they're saying that you know they might have a vaccine in like a year year and a half so nobody knows what's what's happening here and so caution is appropriate.
0: Uh, Jeffrey Gunlack, who famously of course thought we were going to see rates go up rather than down. Colin Asher, senior economist at Mizuho, joins us around the desk here. Uh, Colin, let's just get you on the record here. We know that the travel restrictions and the factory closures uh, because of the coronavirus will have had an impact on global growth. What are you penciling in for the first half of the year? Um, Well, I published new
6: forecasts earlier in the week. If I had to do them again today, they'd probably be a little bit lower. my initial estimate is something around 05 off off Chinese growth. Um, probably if I had to do it again today, it would be lower. Um, just interestingly, looking at the consensus forecasts for China, all the recent forecasts are lower than the ones done anything in the first half of the month. So I think the consensus for China is going down to around 1% uh, they're, they're, they're for the, or, to- annually.
0: They're trying to bring capacity...
6: So not, ba- sorry, down 1% from where it was, not down to 1%. I know, that's yeah. what I thought you said yes. oh, Okay. Big numbers. I know, big, yes. yes. big cool. Okay. Big, <laughs> big call, we're holding
0: to that. Yes. Uh, they're obviously trying to bring capacity back online as quickly as they can at this stage. What is the potential for catch-up?
6: Um, I think it's quite high. One of the things um, you know that I was sort of thinking about the other day was if you know the movement and, and uh, travel, travel starts flowing again is... You know, is that, does that mean that you're more likely for the virus to start recurring in China? Mm. I mean, the, if you look at Chinese, the number of Chinese cases, it's particularly low, and you would say, you might argue that they've cracked it. you could certainly, you know, if, you, if you just the number of cases in China outside uh, Hubei is lower, that is, is extremely low, and the problem has sort of spread outside China. Do we see a recurrence or a rise you know, of cases in China now that they get back to work? That's certainly one thing I think that we, people should be thinking about.
4: I want to know how we think about coronavirus over the course of the year because it does seem as though many are just looking up at the first quarter and potentially the the next quarter in in terms of the impact so far. What you've had from Sequoia Capital has been uh, fleshing out of various parts of business where you might see an impact of slowing down in private financing, for instance, so around new companies, younger companies, for instance, that might be tapping into the market sales forecasts. They're saying, well, even if you can't see the numbers, you need to go back over what you think the demand could be like. Marketing with those softening sales, do you should you be spending so much marketing, headcount? Well, given the stress, should you have as many people on the books at this point, capital spending until you can see a, a course and chart your way forward, maybe you shouldn't be spending as much on, on CapEx as well. So, if you look at all those different areas for a business, it does tell you that the implications can be much larger than expected. Uh,
6: I think certainly in my forecast, there is an expectation that it may not be a symmetrical V. It might be like a slightly lopsided V um, as in we go down pretty fast. And then in this case, there's, there's fairly limited destruction of production facilities. Uh, it's not like a natural disaster. Um, definitely on, on, on the services side, you know, you obviously don't get haircuts twice. You can't have the same steak twice. There will be definitely a hit. But I, you know, once the virus has passed, I think you'll go back to the status quo ante fairly rapidly. But it's a question of how long it takes, and and it's not just the question in China. Then you move on to the next country where presumably the impact is delayed. You go down pretty quickly because you can't get your parts from China. So I, I see a series of sort of lopsided V's, and which probably leaves you with a sort of square root type thing. You know, go, you a go down pretty quickly, and then
0: of lopsided V's. Yeah. That's what we're looking at.
6: Yeah. OK. But sort of in terms of its knock-on impact, So China has a knock-on impact on the next country. You can't get your parts. It comes down. Right. And definitely, it looks like it's spread You know, from Asia, from China to Asia, and then from Asia to the rest of the world.
0: Uh, you've got to stay with us, Colin. We'll come back. We'll get some more questions to you. Uh, we need to talk about the US economy, obviously, as well. The US jobs hot streak set to continue. But with the threat of coronavirus looming, how will the economy fare? We, uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. Stay with us.
2: Now, OPEC has agreed to slash output by 1.5 million barrels a day, but if I may add an addendum here, OPEC Plus hasn't. Now, this is where it gets really interesting, as it rushes to support plunging prices. In fact, prices plunged after the 1.5 million barrel announcement. Uh, But any such plan hinges, here we go, on the support of Russia and Kazakhstan, uh, the former remaining reluctant to back a global production cut. However, oil prices, as I say, continue to slump. They're now down over 25% since the outbreak of coronavirus. Now, Daniel, I know that you are very excited about your afternoon interview with Alexander Novak, the Russian energy minister. And I'm just thinking to myself, if Mr. Novak wasn't going to sign up to this 1.5 million barrels a day from OPEC, why would he be doing an interview with you having to defend himself? So I'm really fascinated about what you're doing this afternoon.
7: Yeah, that's exactly right, Steve. It's going to be very interesting, isn't it? After a full day of talks yesterday, we saw the OPEC group coming together and pledging a 1 million barrel cut on the condition that OPEC Plus contribute a 500,000 barrel cut. So the total cut at 1.5 million. This is quite an aggressive response by OPEC to counter the impact of the coronavirus and to stabilise oil prices at a critical time for the global economy. Now, after that day of talks yesterday, we saw ministers retiring to various hotels here in Vienna. We were staked out at the Park Hyatt Hotel, where we found the OPEC Secretary-General Mohamed Barkindo. I asked him, look, look at how oil markets are responding to this deal. What do you think? And I also asked him, do you think Russia is going to support the deal? He said, make no mistake, our unity is strong. Listen in.
3: We have no reason to doubt the continued commitment of the Russian Federation uh, to this partnership. We have uh, repeatedly uh, heard from the highest level of government in the Russian Federation of the commitment of the government Uh, to this partnership in the Declaration of Cooperation. And we remain grateful uh, to the leadership of the Russian Federation uh, for this continued uh, commitment uh, to this partnership that had benefited not only the participating countries, but the entire global industry and the global economy in the last three years.
7: Shortly after speaking to us at the Park Hyatt, Mr Barkindo made a very interesting move. OPEC also released a statement saying what they told us earlier on in the day with regards to this 1.5 million barrel proposal would be extended, not until June as originally planned, but until the end of the year. Perhaps that in response to declining oil prices in the aftermath of the deal being announced. Clearly, the market saying OPEC needs to do more and perhaps also reflecting the uncertainty over the overall outcome of the deal with a question mark over whether or not Russia is going to sign on. Now, Steve, you make an excellent point. We do understand that the Russian energy minister, Alexander Novak, is going to be present at today's talks. Of course, he did go back to Moscow, likely to consult with leaders about the overall cut and whether or not OPEC should sign on. We've also just had a conversation with Halima Croft of RBC Capital Markets. As you know, uh, she's quite well-connected and well-sourced within the OPEC group. She says this meeting is still absolutely live. Uh, There is no question that Russia would need to sign on in order to maintain the unity of the overall group but Russia also has various reasons not to. So she said this is something that we should be watching out for and clearly, This meeting is still very much up in the air, guys. Back over to you.
0: Dan, thank you for that. Very much looking forward to your conversation with Mr Novak later. The US government will today release its non-farm payrolls data from February. According to estimates from the Dow Jones service, the labour market is expected to have added 175,000 jobs last month, down from 225,000 in January. The unemployment rate is forecast at 3.6%, while average hourly earnings growth is seen rising 0.3% on a monthly basis. Um, Colin Asher is with us, senior economist at Mizuho. Um, Colin, I think uh, many people have been surprised about how resilient the U.S. data has actually looked um, on the nowcasts from February so far.
6: Yeah, I mean, this, uh, numbers, those consensus numbers, certainly wouldn't, you know, if, if uh, two weeks ago we, would, we wouldn't have thought the Fed would be cutting rates. You know, very peculiar to see the unemployment rate down that level and the Fed pushing rates lower. I mean, clearly the Fed is forward-looking, and which is why I think that this particular report won't receive a great deal of attention, regardless of what's in it. People will be looking forward, saying, you know, what's going to happen next month, the month after, in the coming quarter.
4: Should they have waited? I mean, they're only two weeks out from their Fed meeting, yet they bring forward this extraordinary meeting, come up with 50 basis points. Now the question is, well, what do they do in a couple of weeks' time? Do they back it up? Do they change their forecast? You know, did they just go a little bit too early?
6: I, my, I feel it interesting that no one else has felt compelled to go early. If if it's really a global crisis, then the G7 is acting in concert. Um, Obviously, the RBA went to their scheduled meeting, the BOC went to their scheduled meeting. Possibly the Bank of England will go at its scheduled meeting. Um, What can the ECB do and the BOJ? I thought it was quite interesting when the OECD produced its forecasts at the beginning of the week. uh, In its estimate of the policy response, it assumed that uh, Mm -hmm. people with negative interest rates didn't change them. There was no contribution from, from the countries where rates
2: were all no, already okay. negative on the monetary side. Do you think the reaction of markets and the reaction of the underlying economy are aligned at the moment? or Are the markets taking a still too complacent attitude or actually have they gone too far? Because I think I, when we talk about where the policymakers do stuff, there are two constituencies here. One, asset classes day to day. Two, the real economy.
6: Um I think that, you know, you know, it depends probably what day you look at the US equity market, given the the scale of the moves that are happening. I mean, you know, are they
2: jittery. They're scared, aren't they?
6: As they should be. I think, it, I think one of the points is that they're at very, very elevated levels. And if there's a lack of visibility, the natural thing is to be, you know.
2: Well, the natural thing is for people to step on the sidelines for many people. And again, I'll, I'll just be a, a broken record. I've forensically asked every single person in the money markets, are your investors not your short term traders are your investors buying or selling, and there is nothing conclusive coming out. Stepping aside seems to be what most of them are doing. Yeah, I mean, my, my personal sense is that US equities, I didn't really understand why. US,
6: maybe we already had some knowledge of the virus at the end of January, and US equities can they came off a little bit and then they recovered quite sharply to make new highs at the back end of uh, back end of February. I didn't really understand why that so was the case, they were fic-
2: frothy anyway.
6: Yes, mm-hmm. I mean, that price for for. For very good conditions and clearly conditions are not good the fact that they've come off is no surprise the question is how much more they need to come off and i my my sense is that equity markets should probably be lower but i am i think that bond markets are, you know if bond markets are accurately predicting the future you know equity markets need to come down a lot more my sense is that bond markets may be a little bit over enthusiastic about the uh you know about the scale of the uh, slowdown down the pipe. You know, hey, 10-year so Treasury yields... Markets
2: are, get, bond markets are overly enthusiastic about the scale of the slowdown to come, i.e., they has yeah, been too, long, too, too big a bid, too small yield.
6: Yeah, too, yes, yields are too low. My, my best guess, 10-year Treasury yields at 70, 80 basis points. Suggest- Sorry, I know
2: we've got to go. I know we've got to go, but just final 20 seconds. You're saying that bonds have gone too far and equities need to go further down.
6: I would, I would like to see the two asset classes, equities to be slightly lower and bond yields to be slightly higher. I think that makes more sense to me.